First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Well, good morning, church. Welcome to our iCampus. Welcome to those listening over the radio today as well. And if you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to John chapter 20? As was just said, this is our final week in this Grace Wins series, and I've enjoyed so much just our time together in this series, just looking at these uh, different uh, stories in the Gospels, uh, talking about God's grace. Well, what a subject to, to think about, to fill our hearts and our minds with. And I've heard about also the great discussions that have been going on in our small groups uh, each week as we've been talking about these passages, looking at them again, uh, thinking and talking together about how they apply to, to our lives. And uh, so it's just been a great time and hopefully uh, an encouraging time. Uh, for each and every one of us. Uh, just to review the ground that we've covered so far, we've already seen in God's Word how His grace wins over judgment, how His grace wins over bondage, how God's grace wins over greed. Last week we saw how His grace wins over shame, and today we're wrapping up this series by talking about how God's grace wins over doubt. Doubt is really a difficult and complex subject to talk about, honestly, because there's a lot of different kinds of doubt. There's a lot of different degrees of doubt. There's a lot of different reasons why people doubt. There are doubts and questions that non-Christians have that can stand in their way, actually, of trusting in the Lord Jesus. We're going to talk about that some today. There's also, of course, doubts and questions that uh, pop into the hearts and minds of Christians as well. And we're going to talk about that also. There's going to be something, I believe, here today for all of us. And to help us think about this subject of how God's grace wins over our doubt, we're going to read today about the most famous doubter of all. Uh, The one that we just saw on this video, the one whose nickname has come down through the ages of the church to us as Doubting Thomas. And so let's read his story in John chapter 20. Now this is after Jesus' death and resurrection. This is after Jesus has appeared to Mary Magdalene, after he has appeared to the rest of the apostles. And as we'll see in the very first verse, Thomas was not with them that first night. And so let's pick up the story there. Verse 24. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside. And Thomas with them. Jesus came and the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for your grace. 
Lord, I thank you for your grace in my own life, grace that has saved a sinner like me, a a doubter like me. I pray that your grace would be at work in every heart and every life. As we open your word before us, Father, would you speak to us today that we might not be unbelieving, but believing. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to come to the Lord's table together in just a few minutes, but before we do that, I want us to look at this story from Thomas's life, and I want us to see together four truths about doubt and God's grace. And the first truth is that this story really is for all of us because at some point we all have doubts. In verse 24, we're told that Thomas has two names. His Aramaic name is Thomas. His Greek name is Didymus. And actually, both names have the same meaning. They both mean twin. I find that interesting because we actually don't know who Thomas's twin was. But what struck me as I read this story is that we could all be Thomas's twin because we all struggle with doubts just as Thomas does in this passage. And in a way, I think that's comforting, that, that, that someone like Thomas, who the first verse tells us was one of the 12, right? One of the apostles, someone who, who walked with Jesus and followed Jesus for three years, who saw all the miracles that Jesus performed, who heard all the teachings that Jesus gave. If someone like that uh, could uh, have doubts, well, then so could someone like you and, and someone like me. And so if you're a doubting Susan today or a doubting Bob today or whatever your name is, you have a twin in Doubting Thomas. The key phrase in verse 24 is the last phrase where it says that Thomas was not with them, meaning not with the other disciples, when Jesus came. Now, we won't go back and, and read all of it, but if you glance back at verse 19 and the verses right after that, you can see that on the first Easter Sunday night, the disciples were gathered together in a room and the door was locked and Jesus shows up in the middle of the room resurrected. Now the other gospel writers tell us that Thomas wasn't the only one who doubted, that even the other disciples when they first saw Jesus thought in their own minds that he must have been a ghost. They were seeing an image of something. And, and, and Jesus, of course, knows what they're thinking. And he uh, told them, touch my hands, touch my feet, see that I am real flesh and blood just as you are. And can you imagine what that would have been like for just a moment to have been there in that room the first Easter Sunday night with Peter, with John, with all the other disciples, except for Thomas, and to see the resurrected Lord appear right in front of you. I mean, this, this truly is, without exaggeration, the greatest moment in the history of the world. The resurrected Christ appearing to his followers. And yet, as we just read, Thomas missed it. He's one of the 12, but for some reason, we're not told why, but for some reason, he wasn't with them that particular night. I don't know if you've ever gone to the movies and, and you got up to go to the concession stand to get some popcorn and you come back to the movie theater and all of your friends are like, man, I can't believe that you left right then. I mean, you missed the best part of the movie. You basically shouldn't even have been here. This is like a thousand times worse than that, right? 
Thomas leaves at the absolute wrong time. He misses the appearing of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. But then when, in verse 25, the disciples see him again, of course, they tell him about it. They say, we saw the risen Lord. I'm sure they said, where on earth were you, bro? Why were you not here to see this? But Thomas's reaction to that was not one of faith. Right? He did not say, oh, I can't believe I wasn't here. Hopefully he will appear again to me. That's, that's not how he reacted. Instead, he said, basically, I don't believe you. I don't know if he thought they were lying or more likely he just thought they were self-deceived, that they had seen a ghost or they had just so badly wanted to see Jesus resurrected that they made themselves believe they saw something that they didn't actually see. But whatever his reasons were, he did not believe them. He wasn't going to be so gullible. He wasn't going to be so easily convinced as they were. Now, there's two other times in the Gospel of John where Thomas speaks and his words are recorded. Back in John chapter 11, Jesus and the disciples are getting ready to go to Judea, to the village of Bethany, it's an area where there was a lot of opposition to Jesus. And so Thomas thinks we're, we're going to die if we go there. But, but he's loyal, he's, he's brave, he's willing to go with Jesus, even if it means his own death. And then a few chapters later in John 14, on the night before Jesus goes to the cross, he's teaching his disciples about how he is going to prepare a place for us in heaven. And Thomas is the one who responds and says, but Lord, we don't know where you're going. And we don't know the way to where you're going. And it's in response to that statement from Thomas that Jesus gave that famous reply. Thomas, you don't know the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so when you put it all together, Thomas appears to me, he seems to me to be something of a realist. He's loyal, he's faithful to the Lord, but he also isn't going to do anything without thinking about it first. And his mindset, it kind of reminds me of the mindset of an engineer. Are there, are there any engineers in, in, in the room here this morning? We have quite a few in, in our church family. And I love engineers. I, I, I have a family full of engineers. Grown up with them. What, what an amazing intellect. So many gifts. And yet this can be part of the mindset, can't it? A, a mindset that says, I need to see it first. I need to see the evidence. I need to see all the pros and all the cons before I make a decision. If it doesn't make sense to me in my mind, then I'm not going to accept it. What Thomas demanded was proof. You look at verse 25. That's what he says to the other disciples. He says, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, unless I put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Making a clear statement that he wasn't going to believe, not only if he saw it, he, he had to touch it first. Unless I get to do that, I won't believe. Now there's a kid's book by Dr. Seuss that uh, many of you, I'm sure those of you with, with small kids have probably read called The Lorax. And in this uh, little Dr. Seuss book, it's about this greedy guy who goes and cuts down all of these special trees called the truffle trees. And one, one of the images in that book that if you've read that book, you, you will not forget is the image of this rock that just simply has the word unless on it. 
And, and a spoiler alert here, but you don't find out until the end of the book that what that word unless means is that unless somebody cares a whole awful lot, right, the truffle of trees are not going to be saved. When I read in verse 25 what Thomas said, it really just hit me that a lot of people have, have an unless rock in, in their heart and in their mind. And, and their posture, their, their position is, I'm not going to believe unless. Right? I'm not going to believe it unless somebody proves it to me. And unless an angel shows up and talks to me. Right? Unless God just blows me away somehow, whatever it is, I won't believe unless. And, and, I, and I guess one thing that I would say to a person in that situation is, how much evidence do you need? And is God obligated to give you more evidence than he already has? In Romans chapter 1, God tells us that he's already given us enough evidence and creation to know that there is a God, but, but not only just to know that there is a God, to know what that God is like, that we can learn something about his character when we just look at the created world around us. He says in Romans 2, that he's given all of us a conscience <clears throat> to know the difference between right and wrong. And that sense of morality in and of itself is an evidence that there is a moral lawgiver in the universe who has made us. I remember in college reading a wonderful book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity, M-E-R-E, -E, Basic Christianity. And in that book, he makes a very cogent and compelling argument for the existence of God based on the sense of morality that we all have. And then there's also the evidence of the Word of God, the Bible, in which there are more than a hundred specific fulfilled prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ that were written in some cases hundreds and hundreds of years before the time of Christ. Then there's the resurrection of Jesus, which this passage is about. And if you will take the time to study it, you will find that the evidence for the resurrection of Christ is so compelling and so overwhelming that people who have set out actually to disprove the resurrection and thereby to disprove Christianity have come to faith in Christ in the process. Lee Strobel was one such example. You can hear his story in, in the book and in the movie, The Case for Christ, which you can probably stream tonight on a streaming platform if you'd care to see that. Again, the question is, how much evidence do you need? Is there any obligation on the part of God to give you and to give me more evidence than he already has? And so, friend, maybe you're here today or listening today because the God of the universe is seeking you because he loves you. And maybe today is the start of a journey of faith for you. Maybe it starts with questioning some of your doubts. Tim Keller talks about doubting our doubts, examining the underlying assumptions behind the doubts that you have. Friends, start reading, start studying, start searching because if you do that, if you search with an open heart, I believe the God of the universe will reveal himself to you. He writes in Jeremiah, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. We've been talking about the doubts that unbelievers have, but of course, Thomas was a believer. He was a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, and yet he doubted 
that the one he saw die on the cross could have possibly risen from the grave. And at that time, he just could not believe that. And so doubts are something that Christians can wrestle with as well. And we'll talk about some other things in a moment that we might have doubts about. But one thing that many Christians doubt is their own salvation. I've counseled with many people who are almost perpetually in doubt about whether or not they're saved. You know, that's something that, um, that I've been through too. You know, I came to know Christ when I was a little, a little boy. I was only seven years old when I came to trust in, in Jesus and was baptized. And, you know, when you're that young, when you come to know Christ, I know many of you have a similar story to that. Uh, you know, it, it's not like you look at your life and necessarily you see this like ginormous transformation that happened in your life. I don't think I was, you know, like at six years old selling drugs behind the elementary school that I went to. I don't think that was happening, right? And so there isn't this, this huge dramatic transformation that you see that some people have when they come to faith later in their life. And because of that, because you're not necessarily able to see that, sometimes you wrestle with doubt. And I remember when I was 13 years old, went to my first youth camp with the student ministry. It was in Jekyll Island, Georgia. And, and at that time, I mean, I, and I was serious about learning about the Lord. I know my parents at that time had bought me a huge John MacArthur study Bible, and I was reading the whole thing. And, and yet inside, I, I was just torn apart about this doubt of whether I really knew the Lord or not. And I remember that, that night hearing the speaker speak. And I, I just, something said, you, you just need to get this nailed down tonight. And so I went down front and I met with a counselor. Don't remember the counselor's name, but I do remember the verse that he read to me. And it was this verse right here in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. And he said to me, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of of the Son of God. And the Lord used that verse in such a powerful way in my life. I read that verse and I realized I don't have to just hope that I'm saved. I don't have to just guess that maybe I'm saved. The Lord wants me to know that I have eternal life because I have believed in the name of the Son of God. And I left that place that night feeling so free and so confident and so sure that by God's grace, I was a child of the King. Now, just to be transparent with you, does that mean that I never, ever had doubts ever in my life again? No, it doesn't. I remember in college, I had another kind of bout with doubt for different reasons and things that came into my life at that time. And the Lord even brought me back to the same verse again that he had used earlier in my life. But, but I just, I want you to hear my heart for you today. If, you, if you've struggled in your life with doubt like I have, or maybe you're struggling right now, I just want you to hear this. It is possible, of course, that, that you have been playing church. The Bible does tell us to examine ourselves to know whether or not we are in the faith, and we need to do that. And there may be some who are here and, and You've really never repented of your sins. You really never have given your life completely to Christ. You've just kind of been playing church, maybe for years. And if that's the case, God is calling you to himself to truly meet him in a personal way. And yet with that said, I, I believe there are probably many others in this room right now or listening right now, and you've struggled with doubt, but you are truly saved. 
And you have believed in the name of the Son of God, and you have given your life to him. And, and again, I hope you hear my heart. I, I don't believe that God wants you or wants me to spend the rest of our life wondering whether we're ever saved to begin with. I don't think he wants us to be in the starting blocks, paralyzed with doubt, never knowing whether we truly know the Lord. I, I believe he wants his grace to win over doubt in our lives. We might believe his promises, that we might move forward with faith, that we might run the race that he's called us to run. And the truth is, you really can't run the race that he's prepared for you if you're not sure if you're even on the racetrack. It's something that we need to get settled in our life and in our hearts. At some point or another, we all have doubts, but here's the really good news from this story about Thomas. Jesus shows grace to doubters like us. We read in verse 26 that eight days later, which by Jewish counting was one week later, this was the next Sunday night after Easter Sunday, the disciples were gathered together again. And here's the key. Thomas, it says, was with them this time. And I think that's important to notice. Thomas was doubting, but Thomas was not isolating. Thomas was with a community of believers who at that point were at a different place in their faith journey than he was at. Friend, don't try to find all of the answers on your own. Try to find the answers with people who have already found them. Surround yourself with people of faith. And when you do, when you surround yourself with people of faith and you get in the room with people of faith, the Lord is liable to show up in the middle of the room where you are, just as he did here. That's what happens next. The disciples are there. Thomas is there. Jesus appears right in the middle of them, and he speaks the same greeting that he spoke the week before, peace to you. Now, that's a traditional greeting, but at this moment in salvation history, this was more than just a greeting. Because Jesus' death and resurrection is the reason we can have peace. And so the risen Lord is standing there saying, peace to you. You can have peace with God. You can have peace with one another. You can have peace within because I'm alive from the, from the dead. And maybe somebody today needs to hear that. Maybe you're dealing with anxiety or something in your life. And you just need to hear Jesus say to you, peace to you. And then in verse 27, he turns and he speaks to Thomas. Before we even get into what he said to Thomas, isn't that amazing? He shows up in the room, all the disciples are there, and yet he turns and looks right at Thomas, and he speaks to him. Now, he knew that Thomas wasn't there the week before. And because he's the son of God, he knew what Thomas had said. What Thomas said, I won't believe unless. And so he speaks to Thomas, I believe that's a lot of the reason why he appeared on this particular Sunday night was for Thomas' sake. So he looks at Thomas and notice what he says and what he doesn't say. He doesn't rebuke Thomas, does he? He doesn't say, Thomas, how could you? Thomas, I can't believe you. But why did you not believe the other disciples who told you that I had raised from the dead? I can't believe you had so little faith. In fact, you know what? I'm done with you. You're, you're not worthy to be one of my disciples on your way. That's not what he says, is it? 
Oh, he, he speaks to him lovingly, gently. He even graciously invites Thomas to do step by step exactly what Thomas said he needed in order to believe. He says, Thomas, I heard you say something about how you needed to put your finger in, in the wounds in my hands. Well, reach your finger out right here. You needed to put your hand on my side. Well, put your hand right here. You know what that is? It's grace. That's grace that wins over our doubts. And it seems to me that this is Jesus' pattern. This is how Jesus responds to his children who are wrestling with various doubts. He responds with grace. Maybe you remember the story of John the Baptist who was in prison about to be beheaded because of the message that he was preaching about Jesus. And, And it appears that in the final days of John the Baptist's life, he was wrestling with some doubts and he sent some messengers to go to Jesus and to ask Jesus if he really was the Christ, if he really was the Messiah. John the Baptist wanted to know, I'm about to lose my life and I want to make sure I'm losing it for the right guy. And when those messengers get to Jesus, Jesus doesn't rebuke John. In fact, he praises John. He said he's the greatest man ever born of woman. And then he tells those messengers to go back to John the Baptist and to reassure his heart. He says, go tell John what you see. Tell him that the deaf hear. Tell him that the lame walk. Tell him that the dead have been raised. Basically tell him, yeah, you had the right guy. And, and friends, just like Jesus did with John the Baptist and just like he did the, with Thomas, he will do with us when we bring our doubts to him. And that's what we must do. I hope you will hear this truth. God is big enough for your doubts. And so take your doubts to him, to the Lord. I don't know what it is that you might be doubting right now. Maybe you're, maybe you're reading your Bible sometimes and you read something that just doesn't make sense to you. You don't understand it. Maybe something that doesn't seem to jive with something else that you've read in the Bible. Friend, when that happens, don't shove those doubts down. Don't sweep those doubts under the rug. Ask somebody about them. Read about it. Study about it. Research it. Know that there's basically been a PhD dissertation written on like every verse in the Bible. That There are answers to your questions. If you will seek them out. God's not afraid of your questions. He's big enough to handle them. His word is perfect. His word is sure. His word can handle whatever doubt and question you want to throw at it. And if we'll do that, if we'll bring our questions out into the light, then instead of our doubts beginning to erode our faith like waves on the beach, our faith can be strengthened when we find answers to our questions. Our faith can be established and more assured than it has ever been before. When we bring our doubts to Jesus, we find grace and we find peace. Friend, you will hear Jesus saying to you, put your finger here and put your hand here. And know that I died for you and know that I love you. But there's something else we'll hear Jesus saying as well. He'll say the same thing to us that he said to Thomas right after this. Truth number three, Jesus will call us to stop doubting and start believing. That's what you see at the end of verse 27. After inviting Thomas to touch the wounds in his hands and his side, 
to see what he needed to see in order to believe. Then Jesus calls him from a place of doubt to a place of faith. And he says to him in verse 27, do not be unbelieving, but believing. I love how the NIV puts that very simple. Stop doubting and believe. And it reminds me of the passage in John 8 we studied the first week in this series about the woman who was caught in adultery. You remember that because of Jesus, all of the people who had stones in their hands dropped them and went on their way. And then Jesus was left alone with the woman and he said to her, neither do I condemn you. But remember what he said next. He said, go and sin no more. So he met her where she was with grace, but he called her by his grace to a life of obedience. That's what he does here. He meets Thomas where he is in his doubting, and yet he calls him to a life of faith. And of course, he's calling us to do the same, to stop doubting and believe. He didn't want to see Thomas, and he doesn't want to see us allow our doubts to settle and harden into what the Bible calls the sin of unbelief. Maybe you recall that it's the sin of unbelief that kept the Israelites out of the promised land. God had given them promises about how he would drive out the enemies who were in that land, but they didn't believe them. In that moment, they believed what their eyes saw instead of what their ears had heard from God. And their unbelief kept them out of the promised land. That can happen to us today. Our unbelief can keep a person from ever trusting in Christ. By definition, it does. Even for a Christian, unbelief in the promises of God can keep us from experiencing what God wants us to experience the good works that he created us to do. Friend, what area in your life have you been doubting? Even lately, maybe it's an area we've already talked about. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you've been doubting his promises or particular promise. Maybe you've been doubting his provision for you and your family. Maybe you've been doubting his protection of you and your health. Maybe you've been doubting because of something that has happened in your life or some news that you have received. You've been doubting whether or not his plan for your life is actually as good as he says. I don't know what it is that you've been questioning and doubting. Hopefully you've already been talking to the Lord about it. And that's good. But but today God is calling you to stop doubting and start trusting. He's saying to you and he's saying to me, do not be unbelieving any longer. You've you've vacillated and you've flip-flopped back and forth in your unbelief long enough. Child, now it's time to believe. Now it's time for faith. That's what Jesus said to Thomas. And what a beautiful and powerful reply Thomas gave in verse 28. Look at it with me. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Notice that the text does not actually say that Thomas put his hand in Jesus' wounds. I think the assumption actually should be that he did not do that. Why? Because he didn't need to do that. Because he had seen the Lord. Church tradition tells us that after this, Thomas took the good news of Jesus to the east, to what we now know as India, and gave his life there as a martyr for 
the Lord. He may have been doubting Thomas before, but he wasn't doubting Thomas anymore. Grace had won over his doubts. And isn't it amazing that this man that we know as doubting Thomas is the first person in the Bible to say these words to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Grace can win over our doubts as well. Now, maybe you hear that though and you say, yeah, but I mean, it's different for Thomas. I mean, you know, Thomas saw the risen Lord. I can't do that. I can't see the physical risen Lord in front of me like he did. And of course, that's true. And Jesus points that out in the very next verse. Look at verse 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Here's a final truth we need to see today. When grace wins over our doubts, like it did for Thomas, we can be confident and joyful in what we know. You know, I love verse 29 because this whole passage speaks to us, but verse 29 is actually about us, right? In verse 29, he's talking about us. He's talking about all of those who have ever lived, including us, since the time of Thomas, since the time that Jesus ascended to the Father, all of those who have not been able to see the resurrected Christ with our physical eyes, and yet we have seen him with our eyes of faith, and we know that he is risen, it's just like the old hymn says, you ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. And, and Jesus here pronounces a special blessing on all of those who have believed and yet have not been able to see. He uses the same word blessed that's used in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, a word that means, oh, the happinesses of the person who has believed in Christ and yet has not seen the Apostle Peter wrote the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at this. He said, Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy and expressible and full of glory. And if you know the Lord in this place today, you have that inexpressible joy inside of you. Church, this is what God wants for his children. He wants grace to win in our hearts over our doubt. He wants to move our feet from the quicksand of doubt to the rock of assurance. In a world where it seems like nobody knows the truth, in a world where nobody is sure of anything anymore, people aren't even sure if there is a truth at all. He wants us, his children, who personally know the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. He wants us be filled with joy because we know that we know him. He wants to bring us to a place where we can say with the Apostle Paul, I know whom I have believed. He wants us to have joy in our hearts because every day we fall down on our knees beside Thomas and we say the same thing to Jesus that Thomas said, my Lord and my God. 